I had gone to church, I'd listened to certain things, and they had mentioned faith, but the idea of doing a Bible study, all right, it wasn't there. Truth of the matter was, I believe, I, I don't know, somewhere between a half and two-thirds of the Bible was completely unknown to me. They were, they were pages I had never uh, been to, man, and the gold stuff was still stuck together there, you know. It, uh, it was just that going through and trying to figure out what, you know, if I'm trying to philosophize about what faith is instead of going to the one who describes it to us, right? And so I went to, uh, started that study, and as I'm going along and I'm thinking about what should we do here, the first thing, of course, I always teach people to do in a message is got to define your terms. Got to define your terms. Of course, that's what the whole point of 18 classes is, is define the term faith. And it's going to take us that long because faith is easier to demonstrate than it is to define. It's easier to describe than it is to define. Now, when I say that, one of my problems, again, when I'm looking at it, was that uh, at that time, I'm thinking in terms of a definition like you have a physics definition. We were talking about that in class this morning, a physics definition where, you know, this is, this is what work is, this is what, you know, this is what speed, this is acceleration is, and you can put things in there and you know exactly what acceleration is. But when you come to matters concerning words like faith, it's not so easily learned. In fact, uh, we are going to learn what faith is the same way you learn the definition of every word that you know. Um, when I was two years old and I was in that stage of life, when you start to speak, I was not in school Nobody was telling me this is what a word means. How did we learn the meanings of words? We learned the meanings of words by walking around and somebody used that word and we looked at how they used it. We didn't think about that. It's just that was a word. We might come up and then another time and another time and sooner or later, those words which were used all around us all of the time began to fix in our minds and we said, oh yeah, that all puts together this word means this. Now, sometimes, you know, I don't know if you ever had one of those, you, you make a mistake and a word over here and you don't get enough information. And later on, you think, oh, man, I never knew it didn't mean, you know, there, there it was. Now, when we're going to think about the matter of faith, it's easier to look at it from the perspective of how is it demonstrated than it is to think about it in terms of pure definition. Now, the reason I would say that with confidence, you know, you've got, you got to be confident about what I'm saying here is this. Bible doesn't give us a definition of faith. The closest we have to a definition of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and that doesn't fit into a classical definition sort of a thing. That doesn't enable me to know what I should do if I want to be justified by faith. And just try to do that, make that move from that definition. So it doesn't, it doesn't, separate the word faith from all other words and tell you this is the boundaries on it, which a, a real definition should do. But it does suggest, it tells us something about what faith does, how faith acts, it, and that's the primary way in which um, the Bible demonstrates it, and we're going to be seeing that as we go through here. Now, in order to, to take this step and to start in here, we're going to begin by doing what I just said we wouldn't do, all right? We're going to give a definition as a starting point. Something to work with as we begin to sort out what the Bible teaches concerning this matter of faith. All right. Now, this uh, definition comes from 
man named Hanley Mole. He was a Anglican scholar during the late Victorian period. He was, he was one of Mr. Carroll's favorite scholars, all right? Um, and if you can read Victorian stuff, it's just tremendous. His stuff is tremendous. Um, a little remote from us in vocabulary at this particular juncture, but it's still good, all right? He wrote a book on faith, which is very helpful, very Victorian, but very helpful. And he comes to this conclusion, this is the, this is the definition. This is the very first definition I was ever given as to what faith actually is. Right? At least part of this was involved in it. And it's on the page at the very top there. It says, faith is a personal trust in a person. Now, that's the part that I, that I got before. Faith is personal trust in a person. That was the right answer on the quiz. Right? There was. Personal trust in a person. But he goes on, that's only part of the sentence. He goes on to say this, it's exercised by a living soul in a real life. And I want to put that last part in because sometimes we come to a conclusion. We look at lives like uh, Hudson Taylor's life, and we come to the conclusion that faith is, is a level that people live on in some other realm. It's the way... The great saints have lived in the past, all right? Those guys that were great. And I don't know if you've ever been through it. You get enthused about faith when you're young in the faith. And it's real common for somebody to alert you. They alerted me to this. Well, I said, yeah, well, this, this is what God did for Hudson Taylor. And they said, but you are not Hudson Taylor. All right, great, great point. Great point. And I wasn't. That time, I hardly knew. <laughs> when that was announced to me, I hadn't read the whole Bible yet. So, yeah, I probably am short of Hudson Taylor. But the point is this. It gave me at that point, and that will try to work on that, the thought that faith was for other people, a select few that God had picked out and would put through peculiar circumstances, and they would do peculiar things for the rest of us to read about and ooh and all. But faith is a way of life. It's a way of life for real people. Because it's, it, faith is personal trust in a person exercised by a living soul. <laughs> that's, that's a Victorian way of saying, by real people. And it says, in a real life. Faith is what God expects from me in my life. It's what he expects from you in your life. And that's where we were last week when we were thinking about, about Paul talking about his own life. He says this, the life that I now live, that's what we're taking this from. The life that I now live, I live by what? By faith. I continuously live by faith. Now, it's three things. We're going to be all over the shop tonight, so just bear with me. Here we go. All right? And we're not going to be expounding a passage. I hate not doing that, but... We have to look at the whole Bible tonight and try to get some feel for how this traces through the Bible. So it's hard for me to read the entire thing for you tonight before we start. So open no passage. All right, here we go. First thing, faith. The key word there that I want you to note from that is it's trust. It means to trust someone. All right. Now, the second part I want to put in there is it's personal. It's very personal. Sometimes we use illustrations of faith, which are accurate and helpful. I've used them. Okay. And like every one of you, it, this is all a common thing to say, you know, um, you've exercised faith in the chair you're sitting in. You, you counted it worthy and you sat down in it. It's true. It's true. You, you did trust the chair. I hope you trust the chair. Well, anyway, I don't see anybody on the floor. 
I've been in places where they sat down in the chair. In Sunday school class once, and a girl came in, sat down in the chair, and dumped her on the floor. She had put her faith in something that was untrustworthy, all right? But nevertheless, you're doing it. But that is not really the biblical concept, right? Because it eliminates the, fe- the, the personal element. See, gravity's going to work. You know, you, that's why I like science. It worked, all right? Gravity doesn't have good days and bad days, all right? If you, if you go, it's always going to be there. It's always going to do just what it did the last time. That's the theory, anyway. You got that. Not so with people. When you start to interact with people, things get a little... It's Trusting a person is way harder than trusting that chair, all right? All you have to do is find out whether the chair will make it. You're, it's always going to be the same. And so we can, we can use the idea of faith. And again, it does tell you that you, you're putting your weight in, you're relying on it. There is an element of reality concerning that. It's trust. But as he says here, it's personal trust. It's personal trust in a person. All right? In a person. It is an interaction between two people. And it is very personal. You can't eliminate that personal element. Now, again, I just want to say I'm just going to be throwing out passages. And there was a time when Jesus was, this is in the book of John. We're going to think a lot about the book of John tonight. But a time when he is interacting with a group of Pharisees. And he says, you search the scriptures. That is the Bible. And we're, we're going to do that ourselves, trying to find, figure out what's going on there. You search the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them. That it's the scriptures themselves that give eternal life. You see, that's very polite. That's, that's nice. A lot of us tried that. You know, stay in, in the Word. But the Word is the Word of a person. Then Jesus says this, but you won't come to me. Right? I'm right here. We'll talk about that in just a moment. You won't come to me. Faith is a very personal thing. You can't remove the personal element. It's not just something that you do privately. Because of certain things you believe here, it is an interaction with a person right from the start. And then the last thing I want you to note from that, pat, that thought, and then we're going to move on, is it involves action. It involves action. You can't have faith and not change who you are. You just can't do it. You cannot interact with the God, with living God and believe what he says and not do something about it. Right? And again, without we're going to come back to that passage later on. I think that's what, what James is getting at. People who were saying that they, because they had all the right doctrines, that was good enough. He says, faith that doesn't in, end up interacting. It doesn't, faith without works is dead. He's just saying that a faith that doesn't end up changing my life can't be real. We're going to see that in just a little bit. That's those three elements, that gets us started at least. But let's look at how the Word develops in the Word of God. All right, and this is sweeping through. Let's start off with the Word the word faith, all right? In the New Testament, <clears throat> there, are, there is one kind of big word group that includes the idea of faith and believing. Faith is the noun. It has to do with an inward attitude. Believing is the verb. It's how we act, all right? In, in the Greek language, that's all one word group, and I threw it in there. I, I, you know, there is, there's a form of it that leads to faithfulness, 
a person who can be trusted, is faithful, and is still the same word group. Now, that doesn't work out in the English. English does not have a verb, faith. All right? There's no to faith. You can't do it. It just doesn't. We... So, in the English language, to have faith is to believe. All right? So, we use the word believe. But just note that they're, they're, they're very closely related in Greek, the idea of faith and to believe. All right? Um, Faith is Paul's favorite way of expressing the idea. Paul favors the noun faith. Now, we're talking about Paul and John. Paul and John are responsible for an enormous amount of the New Testament, all right? They're the kind of the two big writers. Of, there's the Gospel of John, there's the Revelation, and then his epistles. Then, of course, Paul, with all of his epistles, he had an influence on the book of Acts, and he also has an influence on the book of Luke. So it's just those two writers, their minds dominate the thinking. Paul likes the word faith, the noun faith. Now, that's not to say he doesn't use belief, all right? It's not to say it's exclusive. But it is his favorite way of looking at it, and he uses it in at least three ways, all right? You could... You can subdivide this. You could get more picky about putting groups, but this gets the general idea. First of all, I'm going to dispense with the last part, the very bottom of the page. He does use it at one point. He says that it's a gift of the Spirit. There is a gift of faith. That is outside the bounds of what we're talking about because a gift of faith is given by the Spirit to a particular individual. There's nothing you can do about it. You either have it or you don't have it. And we're not concerned about that kind of faith. We're concerned about the kind of faith we have to have, the kind we have to live by day after day. So we're just going to, well, I'll put this out. I'll just tell you right now, we're never going to get back to it. We're not coming back to that thought. But it is a way he uses it. There is a gift of faith, not defined just as that's what it is. It's, it's out there. But it's two primary ways of using it are, first of all, what we've just been talking about, an attitude of trust, an attitude in which we trust. That, that's... Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and we could put all kinds of verses out there, but let's just, there's a real common one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. This inward attitude of trust that we have expressed in Jesus Christ has brought us to a place where we are justified before God. Having been justified, we have peace with God, and there are many places where that, that's Paul's favorite way of using the phrase. But there's a second side to it. In Galatians, last week we were talking about Paul um, and his testimony. He gives a series of testimonies there, but in the chapter before where we were, in the first chapter, he talks about his conversion and how he is, was a persecutor of the church and then becomes a promoter of the church. And what a big move that was. And at one point he says this. He says that they didn't know me in Judea, and that's in the big region around there. They didn't know my face in Judea, but they heard this, that the man who once tried to crush the faith, this is a paraphrase, is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And he says the faith there, he's talking about the collection of truth on which the attitude of faith is based. Okay, so he uses it both ways. He uses it in terms of the attitude of faith that a person has, but at certain points he uses that word faith to describe, usually with the faith, it, it describes the body of truth which is undergirding 
which is supporting the person's faith. Now, I want to go over that because I want to stop there for just a moment. It's always the responsibility to think of what kinds of attitudes are found in the world we live in that could confuse us on this. One of the interesting features about Western culture is it was built on biblical thinking, all right, way back along the line. And it's and biblical ideas, or at least vocabulary, is woven into our society. But very often, the general culture hijacks the word, turns it around, and, and uses it for a different, a different purpose. Now, I know that I'm going over this, and this is kind of ridiculous, so here's my knowledge of movies, all right? There's a movie, Elf. Okay. I admit that I've seen it, all right? I went and just, this is an admission, all right? And I'm only using it because it, it kind of in a humorous way demonstrates an attitude that people have about faith. At the end of the movie, poor old Santa Claus is trying to get his sleigh to ride, all right? And again, I'm not going with the whole thing, but the problem is there just isn't enough Christmas spirit, which is just, you know, his way of saying faith. So what he needs is for people to believe in him. And if enough people believe in him, they'll create a force which will cause my sleigh to rise. And it finally gets going because the movie's just a feel-good movie, you know, and it works out in the end, right? Now you say, that's a dumb thing to bring up at a Bible study. Well, it is. (laughs) It is. But, here's the point. That's a way that the world out there uses the idea of faith. It's, It's a thought that faith is really a force that's in me, that I have to kind of... I have to fan into a flame. And if I have enough of it, I can influence the future. I can change the way things are. I mean, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, the visualized thing. You know, what do you want to be in 10 years? I want to be rich in 10 years. Okay, be rich. I visualize me as rich. And you put it on your, on your mirror in the morning. And every morning you say, I visualize me as rich. All right? With the hope that, Eventually, it'll take. All right? Now, again, this is, <laughs> it was just a week ago, uh, the baseball playoffs have started. Okay, baseball playoffs have started. And I see a picture of a fan. And I don't know what's, what group he was from. I don't know what, I don't know what city he's supporting. But he has a big sign. And it's, he's holding up there. And the sign says, Believe! I don't know, he took that from Angels and Outfield or what, but anyway, believe, you know, as if, if we believe, our team will win. And it all depends on the force that we can generate from ourselves. That can creep into Christianity in an awful hurry, the belief that somehow faith is a force within us, which if we have it, creates an atmosphere where, amen, this is what we... We wouldn't say, we would never say this, a weak God can become powerful. He can't do anything until we believe him. Like old Santa Claus trying to get his his sleigh going. Listen, faith is not a force which helps God get things done. All right? Got to get that out. And we're going to see that as we go through here. And now, that's helpful because one of the problems I had when I'm in high school is I want to know, what will it feel like when I have faith? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Well, it'll feel like to be a man of faith. It doesn't feel. It doesn't feel at all. I mean, that's my conviction now. It doesn't feel. Wrong way to look at it. Because that feeling, I'm, I'm still looking for that force. 
I'm looking for something that I have within which I can use at key moments. All right, if I if I'm thinking that direction. And that's, again, it's another way of looking at it. Sometimes people look at faith as spiritual money. It's stuff I've got in my pocket. And when I have a crisis, I pull out my faith and let's see what's going to cost. It's going to cost, you know, 20 faith units, all right, to get past this test. Oh, he didn't have, he has enough faith for this, but not enough faith for that. But with the thought that somehow it's something I have and, and it's inside. Now, if you follow that through, you're going to end up in a works religion because salvation is not going to generate from god it's going to generate from your faith and what you are within god doesn't say that okay what is faith faith is a response it's not a force it is a response it is a response to god himself all right now we we get that the truth concerning god through his word that's why we're going to study the word of god but faith is a response to a person. And that's, that's extremely important. It's not the, the force that I have here. It's what God says. That if God is enabled to work by you exercising faith, it's because you lined up with him, not he lined up with your faith. Not he responded to your faith in the sense that, okay, I can feel enough faith from him, now I'll give it to him. No, you came and you asked him. You came personally to him and did certain things all right does that make sense it's very important because it puts all the emphasis in if i'm going to create faith in somebody the way to create it is tell them more and more and more about the greatness of the one they can trust that's why testimony is so valuable because if i can stand here and say god met me here then it might encourage you to believe what he said and say he could meet me too. That's one of the reasons we open our mouths and speak. That's one of the reasons why next weekend we will gather together and celebrate the fact that for 50 years God has kept us here. Not that we're somebody special, but it's important that we take time to testify to the greatness of what he has done. And it's a miracle we're here because there's a great God in heaven. That should encourage other people to trust. You see, the place doesn't exist because of the greatness of who we are. It exists because of the greatness of who God is. That's why, yeah, I'm not cheering for myself here. I'm cheering for the God who brought me here. All right? Anyway, that's, that's Paul's view of the whole thing. It has, speaks of inward trust. It speaks also of that body of truth on which you try, on which you trust. And that you see with Paul. That's why he gets very, very disturbed when anybody starts to twist what God has said. Because God is not going to respond to the twist that human beings come up with concerning his truth. He's going to, re- he's going to work with the truth that he actually gave. That's why the most important work that I do if I'm going to get up here and say, thus says the Lord, is find out what the Lord said. Because he is not going to meet you in accordance with what I said. He's going to meet you in accordance with what he said. And my job is to figure it out and let you know what he said and show you that that's what he said. So I don't particularly like this kind of a general session because it's you don't take away exactly a verse on it or a place. But... It's necessary at times, but we won't be here long. We're going to get down to the passage. This is what it teaches. Okay, now, 
Paul, or excuse me, John prefers the verb to believe. Right? He prefers this concept of believing. In fact, he says that that is the entire reason that he wrote his epistle, or excuse me, his gospel. All right, let me read what he says in, this is in John chapter 20, this is verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. John telling us why he wrote the gospel. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. There's other things they could have said. But these have been written so that you may believe, that is, you might have faith, that Jesus is the Christ. That's very important. He says that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not just that he's a Savior, but he's the Christ. That takes you all the way back into Old Testament. The Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. That you might believe that this is, is the reality. And that then believing in that, you might have life in his name. You see, what, Paul, or what John is interested in here, and he's, he's going to favor the Old Testament picture of it, is that faith is a, it's an action. He puts it in there. It's not just something that happens in my mind. It is an action that I take. So what is he describing as he looks at that action? And this is also important. Now, putting it together again, he has lots of verses on believing, but I'm going to back up through the book in other ways that he expresses this idea of believing in the book of John that help us to get a concept of how he viewed the idea of faith. All right, if you'll back up with me to chapter 7, these are well-known verses, but into chapter 7, in verse 37. This is John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus is speaking. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So he has that word believe in there, and anybody that does that will have this river of living water within them. But before he gets to the anyone who believes in me, he says this, if you're thirsty, what do you have to do? You come to me. Right? This is where that personal element comes in in faith. If you're thirsty, come to me. Just come. And repeatedly in this book, again, we've already quoted the passage. He said the problem for the Pharisees was what? You search the Scripture because you think in them you have eternal life. And they talk about me, but you won't come to me. See, the reason this book was written so that people in John's day could know that the Christ described in the Old Testament was right there at that time. Those men who studied the Old Testament Scriptures should have understood to the last degree because they, they studied and studied and studied the thing. They should have seen that it promised a person who is called the Messiah, who is the Christ. And they should have understood from what they read that the person standing right in front of them was that person. And that what they needed to do was not only study about that person in the Old Testament, they needed to come to the one who had come. You see, God, the Lord does that a good bit. He uses the idea of coming to him as a parallel to the concept of believing. 
to believe is to take an action and move to Jesus. And I'll say that with regards. Uh, I'm concerned about people who are studying the word of God and keep studying and studying and want to understand and want to understand it. But you never take the time to go. You've got to go sooner or later have to move to the person and address him directly. And you're going to have to interact with the person of Jesus Christ. Studying about him isn't enough. Understanding what it says isn't enough. You have to come to him. That's just the whole uh, direction of faith. Now, there's a third element that comes up in this, and this takes you way back to the very beginning of the book. All right, the very beginning of the book. <clears throat> John is introducing Jesus. All right, and he said that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All right. He's describing who he is, and then in verse 11, he tells us what he did. He says he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. All right? They didn't receive him. But then he says this, and again, this parallels what everything else was there. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed in his name. Right, so that he equates then in that particular section the idea of receiving Jesus with the idea of believing in Jesus. Right? To receive him. To believe in him is to receive him. Now, what does that mean? Now, he says he came to the whole world. The whole world didn't know him. But he came to his own. Now, he's talking there about what happened when Jesus came to the Jewish nation. They were his own. All through the Old Testament, it had described to them how God was going to take care of them and the one who would come to fulfill the covenant and, and bring them into the right relationship with him. And now he's come. And many of them did come and listen to him, but they didn't do anything about it. Right? They didn't do anything about it because it's one thing to sit in a meeting, go to church and all the rest of it and receive truth. And then... After a period of time, you back out of it. It's possible. It's happening all the time. It's become popular in our own day. So we have new words for it. Just this idea of backing out of the faith. It used to be deserting the faith, apostatizing. Now they've got all kinds of fancy words to mute the seriousness of it. But the fact is that just because you come and listen doesn't mean that what you're hearing is changing your life. And as, you, as you're coming up there, you're going to have to come to a conclusion about the person who's speaking. That's what they would have to come. Jesus is right there. He's doing the miracles. Okay, that's what, but he's also saying certain things. And as he speaks these certain things, the question comes, am I going to respond to what he says? Am I going to respond to it? Does that make sense? See, to receive was to not only acknowledge that he was the Christ, but that means something to me personally. I have to do something about that. I'm going to have to entrust myself to him. And all through the book of John, there are different groups of people, there are at times, who come, get very close. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? They get very, very close to Jesus. And as says, they heard more than they could handle. I says, now they, can't, they, could, they had to back out. They backed out. It's a hard saying. Down to the point where at one time Jesus has to address his own disciples. I don't know how many had left at that particular point, but he says, you know, are you guys going to go too? 
He's not ready to change the message because the message can't be changed. The message is truth. They had listened to the truth. They had appreciated the miracles, and particularly that group was ones that had just eaten. The, they were among the 5,000 who were fed by Jesus. But when it came to certain teaching, they said, it's too much. I've got to back out of here. So to believe is to come to Jesus and to accept him as he is, right? To take him for what he says he is. Not a, not a revamped version in your own mind. You've got, no, you got no right to, to tamper with the truth. You come to the person, he says what he's going to say, and you're going to do one of two things with it. You're either going to say, I trust you. That's what the whole element of trust is. I'm going to entrust myself to you. Or you're going to back off and say, no, I can't. And wherever you go, you're still going away from that person. Faith is personal trust in a person. Unbelief is personal rejection of that person. Right? Does that make sense? It's important. Now, that's, that's two different concepts there. Let's go to the Old Testament. How about that? Let's go to the Old Testament. The concept of faith in the Old Testament. Yeah, we're going to make it on time. Good, good. In the Old Testament, an interesting thing takes place. This is kind of shocking when I first saw it. The Old Testament, in the New American Standard Bible, which is the one I used to read to you, the uh, word faith is only found four times. It's three times as long as the New Testament, and yet there's only four times that the word faith is used, and only twice does it mean faith like the New Testament. Only twice. Twice it's used more of faithfulness, because God is the one who keeps faith, and that means that he's faithful. You can trust him, all right? It's not used very much. Let's put it that way. The term believe is used more, but it's not used a lot. It's not used a lot. That's surprising. Go and look at it. You think, oh, they got it in the, here's the Psalms. In the Psalms, you think of them as, as the, the prayers of men of faith, particularly David and uh, the great men and how they trusted God and they praised God and all the rest of it. And all that's true. It is. It's, they're expressions of faith. They just don't use the word faith or believe. In Hebrews chapter 11, there is the great, you know, the gallery of the great, you know, the, the men of faith of the Old Testament, by faith, Abraham, by faith, you know, on down the line, right from the very beginning. And you know that the word faith is never used about any person in that entire chapter. That is in the Old Testament. I'm not saying they didn't live by faith. I'm just saying the word wasn't applied that way. It's interesting. The word believe is used of Abraham, all right? It is Abraham did believe, so he at least gets in on that one. There's only one other person in that list that can be in any way associated with the idea to believe, and that is Dave, That is with the word to believe, and not with the idea, the word to believe. And that's David in Psalm 27. He says that, I trusted, I, I, I believed, I would have I would have despaired, he says at one point, if I didn't believe that I would see you. So he uses that term for himself. But all those other characters, uh, Noah, Noah does great things, but it, and the writer in the New Testament, the writer of, of the book of, of Hebrews says it's by faith that he built the ark, but it never says that in the, in the book. And that's in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? 
That's interesting to us. And yet faith is all over the place there. The other shocker is the book of Isaiah, which is about trusting God. And yet the word faith doesn't occur in it. And believe is only there a couple times in those 66 chapters, which is the, I guess we saw a couple years ago when we were thinking about it, which is the gospel of the Old Testament. So how can this be? How can it be? Well, it occurs for a simple reason. In the Old Testament, characters were seen, faith was expressed in actions, not in attitude. I mean, the attitude was there, but they took actions. And so there's all these phrases, these statements of faith. David's favorite one on that is take refuge. Take refuge in the Lord. See, that's, that's to exercise faith, is to take refuge in Him. Do you know the middle? Again, now this is one of those things that always, you know, the middle verses of the Bible. Well, it depends on how many verses you count in different ways, but it's really, really close. That's all I can say. It's really, really close to the middle, uh, depending on how you count up all the verses. In Psalm 118, which is definitely the center of the Bible. It says this at the at the center verse. If you add them up in the anyway, if you add them up. I won't go into all that. It says this: It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And boy, if that isn't the central message of the Bible, I don't know what would be. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. And this is important for our own day than to trust in princes. All right. It's, but this is what you should be doing. But you see, to take refuge is an action, right? To commit your way to the Lord. That's another one of those things. Commit your way to the Lord. That's an expression of faith. What does a person do who is a man of faith? He's going to commit, put his, his life into God's hands. Um, you can wait for the Lord. That wait for the Lord is the being patient. While you are expectantly looking to God to act, that's a particular way it could be expressed. There are multiple ways we could go through. I'm not going to try to, to bring them all out. What I want you to see in this is that those calls, they are actions of faith. And that's what the writer of Hebrews picks up. Okay, these men, you don't, the Old Testament doesn't put the word faith and stamp it on them. But you can see they were men of faith. Why? Because here is Noah. Let's take Noah to start with. Noah receives the word that there's going to be a flood. What would have you done with that information? What would I have done with that information? I think about that. You're in a world that hasn't seen a flood. And you're talking about a worldwide flood. What does he do? He takes a hold of what God said. And he starts to act on it. He starts building a boat. You see, that building of a boat is an act of faith. Right? By faith, he did this. Right? He keeps on going day after day. It's a great picture. By faith, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. Why? Because the God of glory appeared to him, spoke to him, said certain things. And remember, faith is a response. Once God has spoken, then you're face to face with a person that you're going to have to respond to. And Abraham did respond to him. He said, okay, if you say go, then I will go. 
And I'll go where you sent me to go, and I will stay there until you move me to some other place. And so we can think about the great steps that Abraham took in his life by faith of trusting God for a baby to be born when he was too old for it to be born, of offering Isaac on the on the uh, altar. But the bulk of Abraham's life was lived, again, going back to our first our first definition, was just a real life in which he took care of sheep, interacted with other people in business, had a family, raised. He did everything other people do. Nothing particularly... Again, you think about that. There's two or three days in his entire life that shape what we know about him, but that's over a hundred-year period means I still have a long way to go to get to the other end of this and three days out of it. But what by faith, Abraham lived as an alien in this. Why does he live? Because God has revealed something to him and he builds his life around that. Moses is in in Egypt and is, is in a very favored position in Egypt and he hears truth from God probably came through his mother who related the information about God. And Abraham takes a look at that and he comes to the conclusion that I am in the wrong place even though I am in the best place that you could possibly be in his day. I am somebody important. I have all the wealth. I have all the prestige. I have everything to be. But I'm wrong with God. That's what this word says which comes from the outside. And Moses begins to build a life around that. And that meant leaving all this behind. Why does he do that? Not because he has great faith, but because it's a response to a great truth. He he believes God, and he trusts the one who spoke. And we could go on down the line. So in the Old Testament, the faith is seen not so much just by an attitude, but it is, how how did you shape your life? What did you do with what God said? Right? Because God has spoken. And, again, one of the burdens, again, of my own life is this, that no matter how good or bad I am at getting it done, this word is already given to the world, and they're all responsible. They're not responsible because they've heard it. They're responsible because the person of God has spoken. And it is the responsibility of the church to tell them what God said so that they can personally respond to Him. That's my job. And as as poor as I might be at getting it done, I have to keep on getting it done while I've got breath and strength to do it because men and women are just like me, just like I was when I was in high school, sitting there under the wrath of God, waiting for judgment, not even knowing it. And then somebody brought me the word of God and brought me to that place. That was the Spirit of God that does that, but it's done through men. The word's been spoken. This is already set. And faith listens to what was said and responds to it. It just responds to it. It responds accurately to it. How does it respond? It responds in actions which entrust itself into his hands. Probably one of the best known expressions of faith. What a person ought to do by faith in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 3, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
Don't lean to your own understanding. He's already spoken. You've got a choice. Everybody has a choice. Either this is true or the way I think is true. Don't lean to your own understanding. Don't look to what you think it's going on. Listen to what God says. Don't sit around and try to figure out on your own what faith is. Listen to him. Because this is already given. And that's what it's going to be. That's what everything's going to be judged by. Right? Don't lean to your own understanding. In all of your ways. That's the picture. Isn't that the picture of what um, Paul was talking about last week? In all of your ways. Everything you do. In all of your ways. Acknowledge him. And you can trust him to take care of the path. Tremendous, right? Okay, so that brings us to the end of the, the um, page there. And I'm going to change the definition a little bit. All right? It doesn't change. You just add this on. All right? You just add it on. What does faith look like? Well, faith is an action. It's a personal interaction with God. So we could say this, that faith listens. And you could, again, we could add a few words here. Let's add some words to get it filled out to where we're at. This faith listens to the person of God. And because it trusts, builds its life on what he said. It builds its life. I guess it's around what he said, it says here. That's what it does. That's, of course, what Jesus said when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. He says, now you've heard it. Now you've heard it. You're here today. You've come to me. You want to know what truth was. Okay, there it was. I put it out in front of you. Now, some of you are going to leave here, he says, and you're going to build a house on what I said. Some of you are going to ignore what I said, and you're going to build your house over here. Everybody's going to build a house. Everybody's going to have a life. Everybody's going to do the next thing. Some of them are going to do that. They're going to construct what they're going to do next on the basis of what I said was true. They're going to trust me. And some aren't going to do that. And some houses are going to stand, and some are going to fall. That's the nature of faith. It's a personal interaction with God. He comes face to face with you. He tells you, this is, what, this is who I am. This is what I am. What are you going to do? The answer is not only, yes, I believe you're there, but now you're going to take your life and you're going to construct how you live it in terms of what he has said and what he's been. That's, that's the beginning. Well, I'll get us started in our consideration. What is faith? Faith is personal trust. In the person of God. Lived out in a, a regular life. But faith looks like this. It looks like a person who has taken seriously what God said. And is structuring their day by day living around those thoughts. Okay. Well let's pray. Father we come before you and we ask you to work in us. Oh Father. Difficult days and we're coming and asking you to do deep works in our hearts. To enable us to embrace your truth. Father, keep us from being on the sideline. Keep us from listening and not doing. Father, stir our hearts to trust you. And we look to you for it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.